some meows, then I I've do apologise. He likes to micromanage. <laughs> I've got two cats and I've got Clifford here with me. Big, oh. big red dog. Oh. My home office. <laughs> Loves it. And Jonathan's gone to London late last oh. night. So I'm kind of just holding down the fort on my own. Oh is- my goodness. It's a lot going on, isn't it? Hello and welcome to Nut, another education podcast. The podcast where we can't promise you'll learn anything. But if you like great chat and awesome guests, then you are in the right place. Okay, so I mean, a huge warm welcome, Tara. Um, Thank you, Amy, for having me. I'd like to say you're on half term, but you're, you're probably not, are you? Um, my daughter is at camp, but I am using this time to kind of catch up on all the backlog that happens term time for the business. Nice, nice. It's so busy. I mean, I brought... Um, I brought my son to your to your classes when he was teeny tiny baby, and yeah. um, before he started nursery, and he absolutely loved them in unison. It's it's quite unique. I mean, I felt like as quite a new mother, a little bit overwhelmed of how much you can kind of do out there, and sometimes it feels a little bit samey. But I don't know. It like what what you do kind of spoke to me in like a little bit of a different way. So it's um yeah. I mean, do you want to give like a brief? kind of overview of what of what music in unison is okay so it's evolving as as every year goes on something else is, is added into the mix originally it started out as me and my daughter in the local children's center to listen music classes and the premise behind it was really I wanted to meet some people. I was new to an area and motherhoods, it's such a shock to the system, isn't it? I think um, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, and I had no support structure around me. So I wanted to meet people, but also I'd been to some other music classes and um, I was kind of a little bit, not, I've got to be careful what I say really, but it wasn't how I would have approached delivering music as a music educator and as an early year specialist so I I just decided oh well I'll just do it myself um and started at the local children's center and the first week I think there was another mum who joined me and then the next week she brought three of her other mum friends and then the next week there was six people and it just kept growing like that um and before I knew it I had like a pretty much a full day at the children's center with classes after classes um with my daughter and she would take herself off at one of the sessions and go and you know be in 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 the car seat and have a sleep and then she'd come and join back in and yeah that's how it started and in between that I was also teaching I'd gone back into the classroom and I think the just the disparity between how much I loved being with my daughter and creating music and being then in a classroom environment where the dynamics were very different and the rules were very different became really apparent and I just knew that I needed to go all in with the business and that's what I did. Yeah I mean it's this special kind of year isn't it like Easter term where so many people are like I don't know what it is, whether it's like the pressure of like exams, and schools, or, you know, you, it's like the last call really, isn't it? For you to leave your, your teaching job before you, you, you don't, you don't go back in September. Like a lot of people start to reevaluate, don't they? Like, is this what they want to do? And yeah. I think for me, like when I left teaching, I was a bit like, 
I, I want to I want to stay like really similar to I want to stay in this like teaching kind of world or education at least but I don't actually know what there is out there and the only thing for me was that I saw was private tutoring or you could go work at a museum or like you've done so so bravely like started your own business and follow followed a passion but it's um it, it it's that time of year I think where people are start are starting to come into question do you yeah. mind sort of sharing why you left Tara? I think one of the main reasons was that I had a bigger vision. Sure. And when I was in the classroom, although I was making an impact on those children, I wasn't able to extend that any further than those four walls. Yeah. Um, and I knew, particularly in the early years setting, the importance of early years I knew that I couldn't do that whilst I was in that job. Um, And as supportive as the senior management were and, you know, the education system in itself, there is only so much that you can do within that allocated time. And being a mum as well, that your priorities shift, your priorities absolutely change. And what was paramount and you could devote all of your time to doing when you've got a child, even if you wanted to, which I'd say 99.9% of mums don't, you, you just physically do not have that time anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to reevaluate how I could go about it. And it's it was almost like my child was the impetus for it because I could, although when you're teaching children, they're not your own. And suddenly when you have your own, your perspective and your lens on how you see things is very different and so I wanted to do it for her so that she could have those opportunities and in turn that other children could as well yeah I mean it, it it's so it's so empowering I think firstly for a lot of educators who have um I mean the, the, you're you're a musician though this yes. is the thing isn't it like you're you're a musician and you know, I, I imagine like you being kind of in a in a prime primary school. I mean, we all know how congested the timetable is and how yes. busy the day is. Yeah. It's like how how often do you get to actually like stretch those kind of like musical wings and just yeah for it? Um well like so just remind me, did did you did you study um music, performing arts, anything like that, Tara? Yeah, so I studied at uni. I studied music. I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, from the age of 16, I used to teach the flute and that haphazardly, all these business ventures that I start always seem to kind of haphazardly start and then kind of get get legs and go. So I taught my friend the flute um, and then my friend asked if, if her cousin could learn. And then suddenly I had this thriving flute teaching business all through uni. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to to do that in some capacity. So during uni, I did some freelance teaching um, for the flute, as well as still playing myself and um, played in an orchestra, played in an ensemble as well. And then when I finished uni, I started a master's in education. Um, but I just knew I wanted to be in the classroom. And so for me to do that, I had to do a postgrad. So I transferred over and then did my PGCE um, in music, secondary music. So that's where I started in the secondary classroom. Um, And then I did that for six years and then I went international. So I went to a a school in Dubai, an amazing school called Jess, 
um, that really opened my eyes to what a holistic education looks like. Um, it's very, very different because we don't have any financial constraints and literally your ideas. We had an amazing leader there called Rob, Rob Stoker, who I'm still um, in touch with now. He's such an inspiration even to these days, how I run my business. And he would basically say, what are your ideas? OK, let's make it happen. And he would make it work. Um, yeah. And so it was a really, really exciting time for me um, and I was able to get some active experience with the younger children as well and from there that's when I knew I just that's that's the path that I had to go so I did return to the UK unfortunately a whole set of circumstances I came back to the UK and I then retrained in primary and again had another amazing head teacher who basically took me through that journey and then I was a primary teacher in the classroom, um, but it was always the younger ones. And so then I gravitated towards the early years. And then the head teacher was very supportive and wanted me to amalgamate my teaching with the music. And basically, I was a music specialist in a primary school, which is unheard of. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah. Yeah. And and we did we did amazing things. The children were so talented. We're in a very deprived area. Um, but unfortunately, as the curriculum changed, as financials changed, the timetable was squeezed, children were taken out for reading, children were taken out for boosters. I was asked to teach maths, which I'm a musician, um, and I, it just it just didn't work anymore. And it was it, it wasn't the right thing. And then, of course, Isla came along and it was like the perfect storm to give me that push to want to follow my dreams and the main thing was I, I was in a very lucky position in that my husband had a, a very secure job so I could take that risk whereas many people aren't in that position yeah um and so I do feel very blessed for that um that if it would have all gone terribly wrong it wouldn't have been the end of the world you know yeah I mean I, I didn't know that that you you were in Dubai that's really interesting that if you take away the budgetary restrictions and kind of any red tape what what is actually possible it's amazing and mm -hmm. it's breaking down those barriers isn't it in terms of like your you, you said like holistic teaching and why I mean it's it's you see it time and time again don't you how the arts are so neglected but I'm a huge advocate for arts like the, the, the school that I spent most of my time in they were like very, very artsy and which suited me perfectly because I, I saw it work in every part of the curriculum. I, I saw how we could incorporate drama into geography and I saw how, yes. we, um, you know, put together like a whole show using all different parts of the curriculum from set design right the way through to, we, we did like, you know, like wider ops where like the mm -hmm. parapetic teachers come in and we did brass, which I'm not going to lie, we had to as CPD learn learn an instrument and I pick the corner and it's <laughs> like the amount of times you had to just like practice I won't do the face because it's just <laughs> the buzzing <laughs> yeah 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 um and 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 what the arts does like do, do you sort of see when when you were teaching music you know before you started music in unison do you see kind of like the the well-being and and like mm -hmm. the impacts that 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 sort of has and like what does that look like in different settings, it looks in different ways. And the irony of it is that the children who are in the more deprived and 
tougher areas that they need that emotional expression they need that creative outlet and it's being squeezed it's it's really being squeezed and that's what I found very frustrating and that I could offer it's almost like you know turning that gasket and letting the steam come off I I could do that but yeah I I was requested and told to go to teach other subjects the core subjects because they were the metrics that ma- me- that mattered not so much you know the the other side of it I think because the arts it's it's a very it's difficult isn't it to to measure in terms of holistic well-being that's a, a very subjective you know barometer whereas the other subjects it's a bit easier to put a label and, and a target on things yeah which is I think why a lot of schools kind of you know without probably meaning to gravitate towards that because it's like well this is showing that we're doing something we're making a difference but like the schools I worked in were real deprived as well and mm. yeah the, the art the art the arts did wonder especially music like these are kids who you know they don't they don't really get to do much on weekends like their families yeah. are, are really struggling financially and, and yeah. in a lot of different ways and then we, we put them on a stage in the Lowry or we go to the Cheshire show and we we we, we show the, the start the collection of songs we've done and it you saw them kind of like light up because they'd done it it's it's yeah you know, teachers guided them through that but they've done it um mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you you've got you've got the birth of music in unison. Um, yes, which I mean, something resonated with me. And I always remember. I think about it quite a lot, actually. And Charlie's got a whole host of instruments. He's like a one man <laughs> band. He's got he's got, a, he's got a drum kit that we got him for Christmas, which I am slowly regretting. But yeah, I, I used to do drums, so I, I I like it. I'm hoping maybe he will too one day. Um, and you, you said you know, there's nothing quite like. Uh, you, you know children hearing live music and that's not something that they, they they get to learn and that's something in your sessions that you do mm-hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about what what your sessions look like because you play the most beautiful live music Tara it's so it's really emotional like seeing your little baby kind of like I don't know like hear hear proper like live music for the first time yeah it's it is a universal language and quite often the children will cry and it's not a, a distressing cry it's an emotional cry of almost ah oh, they understand me they hear me and we have this eye connection um and it's on a really really deep level and unless you know you're kind of part of that interaction I can't really do it justice yeah. for how how deep and and meaningful it is to both you know the performer the child and and the parent as well so yeah for me it was that whole live element that's often missed out and I think with the birth to five-year-olds as well across the board it's it can be a bit wishy-washy in that we don't appreciate actually how much these children understand and how clever they are and how quickly they are developing and therefore to support that we need to give them access to the highest form of whatever it is that we're accessing for them yeah so not just fob them off um and that was really really important to me and it always used to resonate that musicians would have musical children and it was just thought by by chance that that happened and it it actually isn't it's because the children are exposed to that music 
it's like language if you expose children to language they learn it and it becomes normal and it's the same with music so the idea was to start to expose children to that from birth and it becomes something that's completely innate with them that's meant to be normal that they will aspire to it's not a barrier which is often thought oh I'm not musical and so it's a change in the mindset but part part to do that is the parents need to be on board as well oh yeah yeah I mean um myself and Jonathan we used to um we used to kind of argue over who got to go to the sessions (laughs) it's like for me there's, there's other stuff out there but um, I mean, I don't even remember Charlie used to have like full leg casts. So there's, there's, yes, I remember that. Yeah, it was somewhat of a barrier when you've got you know certain sensory stuff and it's a lot of massage and you can't really do that. And he just yeah. got extremely frustrated very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But music was like this whole other thing that he could kind of engage with and express um, his feelings through. After sending you a video, I took over the weekend. He's got like a little keyboard and a little mic, and he just kind of like goes for it. And oh, and I, I feel like it's just it is that exposure to it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That you sort yep. of play, and then you have these amazing concerts. We we've we've been to a few. Isn't the last frozen? Yeah, the, the 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 last one that we went to, I'm sure it must have been before COVID. I think it was the last one, just the, the Christmas one right before covid um yeah we all had to live inside for ages but mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, they're fantastic aren't they what kind of goes into the, the concerts what's like behind the scenes if you can oh tell? it's huge it's huge um <laughs> I, I do get emails will there be a concert every weekend i was just like well i know <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with a no for that one. So yeah, it does. It takes a good few months to to organise everything. So in the first instance, we have to work out the financials. So it has to stack up as a business. It has to stack up. And one thing that I am very very passionate about is paying musicians properly, because I know obviously myself. I've been through the process tens of thousands of hours of practice sure. tens of thousands of pounds in tuition oh, and more often than not people say well can you not just play this well no actually no I can't so I'm very very passionate about rewarding the performers and um, for their talent so the financials have to stack up so that's the first thing um and then so I have my spreadsheet <laughs> And then from that, we decide on the theme um, <clears throat> and work out myself and Stephen, who is the um, director at the cathedral. Um, we work together. We've worked together for very, very many years. And it was between us that we came up with this idea. I, I had the idea and he he was like, let's do it. He kind of pushed me into action. So between us, we come up with the, the repertoire and what we're going to have. And then from there, it goes to an arranger. And then the arranger, we give them what instruments we're going to use. The arranger, who is Karina's husband, uh, Karina is the pianist and accompanist and head of our training. Her husband is a composer and arranger. So then he produces it all on a program called Sibelius. And then from that, all those scores then go out to the musicians and we individually rehearse our parts, but we've got recording so we know how it's going to sound. The joy of technology. I know. Um, so we know how it's going to sound. Um, so that's the back end of what happens with the musicians. 
And then really it's selling the tickets, making sure that everybody knows where to go, what to do, like a whole chain of emails. And I have, um, I have another team of Cody who helps me with all of the copywriting and things like that. And we have a script. We start to pull it all together. And then at in the evening, I meet Stephen at the cathedral. We set everything up. Um, we have a sound engineer that comes and sets up all the sound for all the instruments, um, wires everywhere. And then at seven o'clock the next morning, we meet coffee in hand and the musicians arrive and we run all the pieces. Um, obviously, Steve, Stephen's the director. He's the musical director of it. And he takes us through where he wants the crescendos, the articulations, people drop out, do this, do that. He has like the bigger vision of how the music sounds. And I I am all the logistics of how everything's going to work, the people, yeah. the legal, the all of that side. So it works brilliantly. Um, we're a great team and it works really, really well. And the musicians that we have are the ones that we use time and time again. Very, very talented. Oh, amazing. Just amazing, amazing. Um, and then we run the concerts and, um, oh, it's just wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful to see children having that experience of being up close there's no barriers they are there the the instruments are in front of them the sound is huge and they get to experience that enormous kind of rush when you're producing music live so yeah really really exciting and and such a worthwhile event yeah I mean I I mean, I, I, like I said, I've 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 been to to those concerts and the the energy. I mean, the, the venue, even the venue is like spectacular, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's like yeah. The cathedral. the cathedral are so great. Um, obviously we do sessions there on a Friday as well, but the cathedral have been so supportive and really got on board with this vision, and I've been there really from the start and help have helped me grow this side the education side as well as the concert side so you know really really forward thinking um have approached other organizations and basically it was a no um this idea of collaboration often is and particularly i think in the art in, in the music world it's it's very everybody does their own thing whereas it's it, the way forward is to cross pollinate you know with with other skills and I think the thing about music is people think oh well you play an instrument but actually there's so many different facets to it so where I was saying there we've got performers we've got composers we've got directors you know I'm an educator so there are a whole set of different skills and within the music industry I think if if organizations were more open to to sharing skills I think we could definitely achieve a lot more yeah like I, I I've always found that like quite challenging like I'm I love collaborating and you know I I, I love seeing you know how I can help and you mm-hmm. know how, how what things we can do when when, when we come together it, it's really really powerful we've seen that time and time again in in, in society you know I mean the, Ukraine at the at the moment everybody banning together helping yeah. as much as they can we can achieve yeah. things with with very little resources and what little people have mm-hmm. it, um it's it's really inspirational and I mean I, I I don't think there's any I feel like there's no value in doing stuff on your own right I, no I, I feel like you're always learning yours there's always something to be gained off off 
being mm-hmm. around other people who challenge you, you know, who who are different to you, but also mm-hmm. people who who have a similar vision, shared vision, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Just you, you, you obviously you play the flute. I know you do. Do you play any <laughs> other instruments, Tara? Yes. <laughs> So this is what people often ask. And this is part of the education element of our sessions is that we train children to be musicians. So we don't train them in an instrument. So it's what's called musicianship training. And the the foundation for that is that it's transferable across any instrument. Um, So you've learned the language and now you just need to put it into action, basically. and often the case when you learn an instrument, it's it's the top heavy approach that you learn music through the instrument when you've actually got the complexities of the instrument to deal with as well as learning a language. So yeah. we kind of deconstruct that. Um, and there's different methods. There's the Dalcro's technique, the Kadai technique, the Orff technique, the Waldorf technique. They're all basically variations on a theme about that the body is the first instrument. So going back to me, I learned the flute and I learned it actually the the wrong way. I learned music through the flute, um, which was really, really difficult. But I was a lot older and I had a bit of persistence about me. um, And once I'd mastered it and everything just clicked into place, I was just like, oh, my goodness. It just made so much sense. But I'd really gone about it the wrong way. Um, So I learned the flute. And from that, I transferred to the piccolo, which is, it kind of goes hand in hand. It's a mini flute. Um, I played the saxophone for a while. Um, I play a little bit of the drums. I sing. Um, Clarinet, I had to teach clarinet for a while. That was a challenge. Um, I play the guitar, play the ukulele a bit, um, play the bass guitar a bit. So th- this is the thing, once you kind of understand the fundamentals of music, you just really then need to to get with the technique of the instrument and kind of apply it. That 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 that's so so refreshing to hear because I I went for a number of instruments when I was a kid. I started off with the violin. Mm-hmm. Oh that, yeah. That was pretty disastrous because I think we look for in these things like short term gain and yes. I feel like the violin <laughs> it's hard you need to practice a lot for it to sound anything like a note <laughs> yes and also you've got that inner hearing as well which has to be developed that's not something that very very few people just have that the ability to hear the note and to be able to place it and to know whether you're in tune or not that's something that develops I carried it on because I really liked the case and all the little compartments in it <laughs> I loved um oh flip it's come so slow. I am um, can you still hear me okay? I can yeah. Oh yeah. thank goodness, sorry. Um but yeah, I I I effectively um left that to to then then start the piano and I loved mm-hmm. the piano. Uh and I felt like I did kind of get get like a good um, understanding of musically what yeah. I, I should really be hearing um and I moved on to gu- guitar and drums and singing at one point but it was alas it was not to be with singing voice I just I'm not I'm not I'm not a great singer Tara uh you know the amount of people that say that and I think singing is a funny one because yeah. it's 
part of you and so you have an accountability and also you have a little bit of embarrassment about it whereas if the flute goes wrong you can kind of point at the, the button and say oh the springs come loose whereas yeah, if, yeah. if your voice doesn't sound great that's on you <laughs> um but the good news is everyone can sing it's practice now yeah. not everybody can sing and it sounds amazing but everybody can sing in tune with practice and I wasn't allowed in the choir in school in junior school they said that I was unmusical Unmusical. um yeah Unmusical. yeah yeah unmusical wasn't allowed in the choir and basically I just practiced singing and just kept going and and it's that 10,000 hours principle as well you know if you practice something for 10,000 hours you're going to become pretty proficient at it yeah yeah and I mean you've probably done over that yeah <laughs> yeah and everything yeah I mean I, I, I took singing really seriously I recorded a cd oh wow I mean <laughs> It was it was when I was you know like when everybody when they were a kid they wanted to be like a pop star or a footballer in the yes. second days it was very much that and um I was desperate to where I have a music lessons they had a recording studio okay recorded my um my single and it was Papa Don't Preach you know, oh you know when Kelly Osbourne brought it out which she yes it out um oh Tara it's awful it comes out at Christmas. <laughs> Everyone has to laugh at it. It's the worst thing. And also, really inappropriate for a 13-year-old to sing. Well, I I was actually thinking that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, a weird one. But, you know, it didn't deter me. Like, I, I still really loved music and in the arts. And I, I felt like, I don't know, I really, really get home when, when, I can, when I can engage with the arts. And, you know, more specifically music. Um, I think when you remove the outcome and you take away that elitism that music needs to look a certain way and be performed in a certain way for it to be acceptable I think when you do that and you enjoy the process it becomes you know a lot more less stressful for you as an individual as well but I think the problem is we've got all these programs like I was going to say pop idols there we go show my age there <laughs> you've got all you know <laughs> yeah but you've got all these these programs and it's about you know how amazing somebody is or how awful somebody is and it's it's that judgment that we always put on music um and that's that's really wrong from you know particularly from an educator's point of view because music is is it's very different from one person to the next and, and if a child say for example was scribbling on a piece of paper and, and shows you the paper and you go oh wow that's amazing that's a gorgeous picture well done but then if they're banging on on the the pans with a whole load of you know metal implements like the parents say shh be quiet but actually that's the equivalent of of drawing on a piece of paper and I think it's that paradigm shift um as parents and and you know as a society as to what music is supposed to sound like um if we can get get our heads around that a little bit I think it'll take the pressure off us and we'll have more people making music and being happier about it as well I mean I I, I completely agree like you couldn't have put it any better or, or so or so beautifully that's like such a nice way to kind of sum up how children have like different talents as well and yeah not all kids will sit there and quietly draw Charlie he's got no interest in drawing whatsoever but um those drum kits that drum kit is uh getting a bit of a battering for sure 
Um, and and I, I I kind of think with with things like that, it does it it resonates with me because it's like if you take art right, like a picture, and you're like, oh okay, well, that's not I'm not good at drawing. I'm no good at drawing. And you say it all the time when I was a teacher, you draw something, but like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no good at drawing. But it's like, yeah. that's because you think it's meant to look a certain way. Yeah. And like the best artists in the world are not there going, oh, it doesn't look anything like Picasso. It doesn't look anything yeah. like Banksy. You know, it, it, it's, um, it's irrelevant. And it is all about removing that stigma, isn't it? Yeah. And- yeah. What what's kind of next for for music in unison? Have you got any Have you got any grand plans? I see I see I see you guys everywhere, like <laughs> loads of different places. But you know, have you kind of got like a vision on where you want it to go next? Yes, yes. Um, we started a training program. So the the early years music space is people fall into it haphazardly, um, or that was the case in the past. Whereas now there seems to, there's this movement of, particularly with Merrick, which um, are an organization, a charity, um, it's starting to become an actual discipline that people are trained in early years music, which is amazing. Um, And from that vein, as part of our our company, we are training musicians up as well. um, And they go through a, I think Hannah was, took about six months. Um, so a six-month training program before they are um, basically on their own, not on their own, but with 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 um, the other person who's going to run the classes with them. Um, and we're going to scale that out basically to take on more people and run them through the training program so that they are able to go and deliver our curriculum in a way that's robust, in a way that's thorough. Um, that's from a musical perspective, from an education perspective. And yeah, we're taking, we've, we've got another guy who's starting, who's amazing. He's our trumpeter from the concerts and he's going to be joining us. So we're, we're kind of, it's a really, really exciting time in that um, we are starting to expand and kind of test things out as well. So they're coming through the program and we're getting feedback on them. What can we do better? What can be changed? You know, how how can we improve this whole process? And eventually we're going to get something that's, you know, pretty, pretty robust, pretty scalable. And we can take it out there and hopefully start to to change the the landscape of, of what early years music classes look like, particularly, you know, on a local level. There's lots of franchises, which is great. They have their place. Um, but I think the uniqueness of what we do um, could hopefully in the future be not so new, unique anymore. Yeah, sure. I think, I, and, and and it sounds so exciting. I mean, that and kids have access to like incredible musicians and, you know, a fantastic provision to, to have it. And, you know, because unfortunately sometimes in school, it isn't always like that, but even if there's a way to, to make it like that in schools, like, yeah. you see, I like, all the teacher friends I know, like they would like snap that up in an instant because, you know, they, they see the value in art. I feel like most teachers are quite creative people naturally. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. You know, so, so the idea of bringing that creativity into the classroom is, you know, honestly, what could be better? I know. I know. And it's great fun as well. You can have so much fun and it breaks down those barriers of ESL and, yes. you know, you've, you've, 
you, you get to know the children on a different level when you're a little bit silly, you're a little bit fun, you know, <laughs> and you're showing your vulnerability as well. And, and once you do that, children seem more open to, to reveal themselves as well. So it's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tara, I'm so excited to see where music in unison goes and I just really want to thank you I know we've been trying to do this for a little while and yeah so happy that, that we could and, and have a catch-up because um you know a lot has happened since the last I know I know lots lots and and really really thankful for you having me on this here today um yeah and as a teacher I would often access all the twinkle resources <laughs> often often um yeah in particularly in primary school so you know it's come full circle so thank you very much and hope to see you back thank you so much for listening today it really means a lot if you want to know more about tara's amazing work and her team check out the music in unison website linked in our bio keep tuning in new episodes every monday have a great week bye